Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And now a word from our sponsor. Do you need money? Do you need it fast? Are you not a fan of interest-based loans? Well, check out fundmebff.com. 100% halal, interest-free loans. How does that work? Well, if you live in the United States, you can get a loan of $5,000 to $50,000, all interest-free. It's based off a percentage of your income. If your income goes down, your payments go down. If your income goes up, your payments go up. 100% halal. Check it out today. Fundmebff.com. And now back to the show. What's good? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. So today, after recent events, Fahad and I, we decided to bring on a guest that could, you know, tell us a little bit about practical steps to take, uh, you know, in light of the Christchurch shooting. And uh, we we found, we heard of him from uh, from Fahim of Mr. Focus 180. Shout out to him. His name is Leon Smith. He's an expert with over 10 years in security. And it's not the mall cop type of security. Assalamu alaikum, Leon. Welcome to the show. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so could you tell us a little bit about uh, your background for our listeners? Because even yes. I'm, I'm not fully familiar. Okay, so um, uh, I was a uh, security professional for about 10 years. Um, I recently left that profession a little while ago, and I'm currently a facilities manager for a, a company in my local area. Um, but during that 10 years, um, I really came to learn through a lot of uh, great teachers, um, both coworkers and um, uh, managers, consultants, and others, um, a lot about security, not just um, the nuts and bolts of it, but really the overall philosophy of what drives um, security and need for it and um, how to think about it and how to uh, you know, go about putting together um, a, a comprehensive security program for yourself, for your life, for mas- massaged, for businesses, anything like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but so far, like what you've mentioned is that, so you have the experience of just the overall process of developing, like, yep. developing that security mindset. It's not, yeah. it's not just like, oh, we hired a couple of security guards. They got it. The whole community, Ex- you know, every, all of us need to have that mindset. Exactly. Um, you know, the, the, the thing I came to learn in the 10 years that I, I worked in the security industry was that every person is a participant in security. Um, and if you take the, uh, you know, the approach, as you mentioned, that, you know, security is, is mall, are mall cops, you know, they're TSA agents, um, you kind of, you, you're undercutting what security actually is. And of course, those folks are out there, there are, you know, jokers, born every day but um and and some people do use um and belittle security in a way um to to make to make a false facade of security you know we have a couple of mall cops so everything's great but that's not security security is really understanding um what risks you face assessing those and then developing a security program that fits your place your resources your um your willingness and motivation um, of everybody who bought uh, in involved in that program and putting it and then putting it into action. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I like how you mentioned that it's about risk management and how everyone in the local vicinity is involved in uh, exactly. understanding that mindset and internalizing it and then taking yeah. action to assess risks. Right. right? Is, that, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so what do you mean by risks? So risk is something that we all face every day, be it whether it is, um, you know, driving, we have a risk of crashing our automobile, 
um, be it of running up and down stairs, we have a risk of a slip or a trip or a fall, um, or being something like we saw in the most recent unfortunate instances um, in uh, New Zealand with an active shooter situation. So there's all range of risk. Um, and by risk, you mean a threat to life or property. So, you know, you have, you have risks to property. Um, you, have, you have natural risks to property. You got fire, you have, you know, lightning, you have flooding. Um, and then you have, of course, human risks, um, you know, robbery, um, vandalism, graffiti, um, active shooter situations. So risk is really any, any is, is looking at and assessing any potential threat to life and property. Um, so, it, you know, whether you're driving in your car, like I said, you, you take a calculated risk of whether you're going to get into an accident or not. And then you, in your mind, you develop a philosophy of, okay, well, how am I going to mitigate or lessen that risk? Um, I'll drive the speed limit. Um, I'll drive with proper equipment in my vehicle. And those, and those things are the measures that you institute to be part of your philosophy to address the risk. So, you know, from even the small basic things all the way up to the major crises and emergencies that face the Ummah, that face us individually, that face uh, small groups of us, be it in a madrasa or be it in a, in a, in a masjid, um, be it in a, ga a social gathering outdoors. All of these things have risk that we can assess and then come formulate a program or a philosophy to address and then, then institute all the pieces that fit with that program. Um, so it's, it's very comprehensive and it's a way of thinking. It, 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 and it's in, it involves buy-in by everybody, right. not just um, the three people who you said, you're in charge of this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so, go ahead, Fahd. Uh, I was gonna say that like, the difference between the security of an airport versus the security of a masjid versus the security of like a grocery store, uh, what would be the different priorities uh, of, of like things that you have to protect? Absolutely. So when you, any, any particular place, um, and a, you know, a good example is a, is a gold shop um, is, a, is a perfect example. Um, some of the examples you gave are great as well. Um, you know, grocery store or anything like that. You have to look at what your individual risk is. And part of that is looking around you and saying, okay, well, what have other similar uh, institutions such as mine faced? Um, so I, if I'm opening that gold shop, I know that other gold shops have been robbed. Um, I have some general idea about what um, uh, the level of crime is in the area of which my shop is located. Um, you, you then basically start to put together a profile. You start to um, build and, and, and that level of, of knowledge and basis of all the variables involved. Um, you know, what level do, of risk do you have to your patrons? If you have patrons, uh, are, are, you know, it, there's a lot of different elements. And like you said, uh, security at an airport is going to be completely different than security at a masjid. There's going to be broad similarities, um, and there's going to be elements that you want to, you know, that you can share between the two, um, such as preservation of life. I mean, that's one of the main uh, things that is going to be uh, present in pretty much any security scenario. Um, whose life is always going to vary, um, whether it is just a handful of people or a large number of people, whether it is patrons. 
um, people who are customers of, of a place or, or it's people who are active um, uh, such as employees in that place. Um, it, you're going to have those different elements. And so you need to look at like with a masjid, you need to look at it as you would first as any other structure or business or location and the risks that it would face. Then you would look at what additional level of threats or risks does a masjid in particular face that perhaps other areas don't. And you start to build again that individual profile. So a masjid in let's say, you know, Bethnal Green in London, where my, my Ustad in the course I'm taking is located, to a masjid in rural Vermont where I am located is going to have a you know very different um, assessment of risk. Um, because of the locale we are in, but they're also going to have the similarities because of the nature of the business we're in. Um, you know, so it, it, it's a very um, complex, but also very simplistic to in, in kind of both ways. I mean, you know, it's location, location, location. It's uh, what's the nature of your of, of what you're doing. Um, are you a twenty four seven masjid? Are you a Juma masjid? Are you, you know, th there's, there's a lot of differences. Yeah. So I, I know you mentioned that there's differences between the masjid. So let's touch on, uh, so this shooting that happened, the Christ church in New Zealand, uh, I don't recommend yeah. people to watch the video, but I'm going to touch on it just to mention some of the security risks that could have been mitigated because, uh, Leon watched the video and he had, a yeah. he actually posted about it. He had a whole thing on Facebook. Uh, I think we'll link it in the description, but he was talking about how, where there's like the he broke down the number of seconds the different exits of the mosque and the yep. blind spots so in that in that given situation that environment what is the like if you're the security the head of security how would you um go about mitigating the risk what would you do right so you saw him we came in he started shooting yep. in like yep. he was like 10 feet out right? so i think it's imp important at this point to realize that um if you're starting to think about your masjid security when an active shooter comes in you're too late that's too late. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have to um, see it before I, it I think, right. Exactly. I think the first step that every brother and sister that steps in their masjid tomorrow or the next day needs to think about is what is the risk we face here in this masjid? Not just those general normal risks, oh, the bathroom can flood and that, but what has been going on in our locality? Have there been other, have there been, have there been pig's heads left on our doorstep? Are we receiving hate mail? Do we get hate phone calls? If you don't know these things, perhaps you should ask some of the, you know, the management of the masjid, you know, what level of risk do we face here? Um, because these types of indicators of things, vandalism, hate mail, other stuff, they help you develop, develop a risk level. So you may live in an area where you have a masjid that you feel that is very safe. Um, but you may live in another area where there's a higher level for acts of violence to occur. Now, in specific to Christchurch, um, without knowing the exact history all the way back to the beginning of what have they been getting hate mail? Have they been getting uh, other things? The, the overall assumption more than likely on the part of the, of the community was that it's New Zealand. It's a safe place. And that was their, in a way, a mistake because you kind of have this laissez-faire attitude of, you know, everything is great in where I am, be you in Canada, the U.S., or, 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 or 
in another Western safe uh, environment. Mm -hmm. First world, quote unquote. Yeah, exactly. So you, you, you feel we don't have that problem. That's like what happens at the masjid in Egypt when they have a, an attack and you know 200 people die or Pakistan or something. So the first step is recognizing that a, you, there are risks inherent with any location, and there are special risks that we face as Muslims and as mas masjid and as madrasa or even Muslim businesses. Um, you know, if you, you, you could be a kebab seller, I mean, not to profile, and, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, you, you could be, a, a, you know, just a food vendor or something. You know, all of these, so you have to think that first. Then you have to look at what specific risks you face. In the case of Christchurch, it's possible that they've never had a problem before. Um, it's also possible they have had instances of hate before. But anybody would today, in this day and age, should be able to hop on the computer and realize that there is a lot of Islamophobia and there's a lot of hate and there's a lot of people out there who are saying they would do this or they would do that. And we can't really assume that, well, they live in the next town they may live in your town and we can't really assume that they are overtly hostile in public um everyone always says you know oh, he was a nice guy we didn't know him. you know so that nice guy may not be so yeah obviously case, yeah yeah like, so no one's case, gonna announce it like out loud. in christchurch the guy actually he came from australia yep to new zealand yep because it was a safe place right so the guy, he didn't, you don't even, you're worrying about people from all over the world now at this point. Exactly. So, and, and the other thing is, you know, you cannot, this is one of the things with profiling that doesn't, why it doesn't work when it's done against Muslims, us, and why it doesn't work when we do it against others. Because you can't look and say, oh, he's a brown brother. He's good. You can't look and say, oh, he's a white guy. Oh, he's just a businessman or he's not going to do anything or you can't, you know, it, threats can come in all different forms, mm -hmm. all different, in all different colors. So, you know, we, we don't want to get so blindsided by the fact that there's this, uh, you know, right wing or whatever you want to call it, left wing or white nationalist type yeah, of violence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just focus on that. The next may be some, uh, you know, radical Hindu uh, terrorist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. you know, so. So, you know, but assessing the general overall risk, like in Christchurch, uh, without knowing their particular history, but even then, even then, I don't care if it's the safest place on the world, you always need to be thinking, well, what would I do if? Um, and that, you know, gets to the general level of security thinking, you know, like I go into a restaurant. I don't know if you guys do the same thing, but this is how someone with a security mind thinks. You think you go in the restaurant door, I look around the room. And I say, oh, there's a door there. Or, oh, there's that, that group's loud over there, so I'm not going to sit over there because they look rowdy. You ma you're making an, a risk assessment right then and there. And you're instituting security measures right then and there, where you sit, whether you realize it or not. And that's the type of thing that, that should have been going on in Christchurch when they realized, you know, uh, you know, before the shots even fired, they should have thought, what would happen if are we are we too open? Are we too open to acts of graffiti, violence, um, you know, other things that are not necessarily to the level of an active shooter, but anything? 
Um, regardless of how safe of an area you are, regardless of even if your risk assessment is putting it as a low priority, it is still a risk. So, I mean, I mentioned to you um, uh, uh, earlier um, we, when we had a uh, you know brief introduction before the video that we uh, there was an alley nearby that the shooter ch picked. He picked this alley to park his car and to base his little attack out of. That's something that beforehand should have been recognized by people in the community as a potential risk. It was a little blind, dark alley right next to the, the, the compound area. Whether it was a risk, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, go, continue, yeah. continue. Yeah, whether, whether it was a risk posed by you know, a drug dealer using it to sell drugs, um, kids to hide down the alley to smoke or drink or do something, um, whether it was just a dark and dangerous place that sisters might not have wanted to walk down after Isha. You know, this is something they should have thought about. And then they should have, if they had developed a security philosophy in advance, they could have said, we want to do something about that. We want to mitigate that risk. So let's, um, you know, maybe ask the local PD if, does that alleyway have to be open? Is it a public right away? Maybe we can close it. Maybe, you know, there, there's all these things that could have proceeded before you started hearing bullets fly. That you, that these are things that need to be in everyone's mind like yesterday. Um, we, I, I, one of the things I mentioned um, in one of my posts that, you know, that I was shared with you guys was this color conditioning system right yeah i i saw that yeah the white and, the yellow the orange. right and and there's this guy lieutenant colonel jeff cooper he's a you know famous handgun guy um, you know uh but he gave this great system and to this day almost every law enforcement agency out there uses it as part of their training and they have this basic simple color system of condition white which unfortunately is where most everybody is. They're unaware, they're unalert. They have this laissez-faire attitude of just, eh, I go about my life. Then there's condition yellow where most people should be, where they're alert, aware, they have situational awareness. They, they can foresee that, you know, maybe this could be a problem. And then it escalates up from there. But what happens is if you don't have this condition yellow and you don't know how to think about your general security individually and collectively then the only two colors that are going to matter to you are color white and color black because you're going to be in color white unaware and unalert and then something bad's going to happen and you're going to panic and that's going to put you in color black you're you're going to physically and mentally break down so what are the two what are the five different colors yeah so, so the colors are white which is you are unaware, unalert. You are really just going about your day. You're, you're, you're not paying any attention to whatsoever to who is around you or what is around you. You're, you're the person literally with the cell phone who's texting while walking and you fall in the manhole. Okay. That's in condition white. Condition yellow is, yeah, I'm doing things. I might be working. I might be packing my groceries at the grocery store. I'm driving. You're doing something, but you're alert. You're paying attention to the fact that there's a guy over there who's been standing there for 10 minutes 
and he gives me the creeps okay or there's a odd funny smell coming from this room or you're alert to those things you're not just completely oblivious you know i'll give it i'll give it just a perfect example i had a security officer who worked for me who failed to recognize that a main lobby of of a building had flooded he walked through the building four times okay through water about this deep and never once dawned on him that there was flooding because he was in condition white he was not paying attention now needless to say he didn't work for me after that <laughs> but but the example but the, the thing is you need to be in condition yellow you need to be alert to those smells to the sounds to the sights you see the guy with the axe and the blood dripping off it okay that's whoa i see it i know there is a potential risk then you take it to condition orange okay which is the third color so white yellow and orange orange is there is a probable risk so you've taken all that stimulus, all that input, and you've determined using your brain that there's a potential risk. And the key thing here is potential. That guy with the ax and the blood dripping, he may have just been butchering chickens. No risk to you, okay? But you've assessed it as a potential risk. So maybe you decide to cross the street, or maybe you decide to do something. But that's orange. That's where you've now identified something as potential risk. Yellow, you haven't identified a risk. You're just situationally aware. Now, if that risk that you've now identified in orange turns into something where it is not a potential risk, but a real risk, to use the guy with axe example, the guy with axe starts coming at you, you now need to elevate to condition red, which means you're ready for action. Ready for action to implement what you are going to do. You need to make a decision. Am I going to engage this individual? Is that part of my security philosophy? Am I prepared to engage that individual? If it's not part of your security philosophy, have you made that decision in advance that in those type situations that you're going to put distance between you and that person, that you are going to flee danger to safety? Not that you're just going to flee because you may run into more danger. You're going to flee to safety. You've made that conscious decision. And that is, you know, and that's the action you're going to take. If you don't get to that, if you don't properly develop the proper security philosophy, you just go from white to black. People don't understand. You know, we see it in the movies. A good example: um, somebody's running to try to get in their house. They're getting away from the bad guy. The guy's chasing them with the knife. They struggle to get the keys out of the pocket. They, they panic. Get, they panic. They struggle to get the keys in the door. This happens because you are now overloaded, you're in panic, you have mental and physical breakdown, your gross, your, your fine motor skills, gone. Your mm -hmm. gross motor skills are still there, but the running, the moving isn't as good as you think it would be, okay? The thinking is almost shot, okay? It, some people will get so... Um, so overwhelmed with the panic that their vision will actually constrict down to a very small amount. They will block out all of the peripheral vision. They get literally tunnel vision. So that's where you're going to go if you haven't developed that in your mind. So, yeah. you know, back yeah. to, you know, the New Zealand situation, that's what we saw is we saw a community that hasn't 
thought through risk and it hasn't thought through what its security philosophy is. How is it going to mitigate those risks? And, and it hasn't implemented any this, of the security measures that, that fit in its philosophy that could help mitigate that risk. So it immediately went to condition black. Condition and, black. We, and we <laughs> saw so many brothers and sisters, you know, and, you know, may Allah grant them genital fair doubts. You know, they they huddled in the corners or yeah. they just failed to move. Yeah, I wanted to add on. I just wanted to touch on that. When you you never you never rise. There's like a phrase, right? Oh, you rise to the occasion. That's not true. You don't rise to the occasion. You fall to right. the level of training. And in that situation. Right. And, and, and this is like a, a unfortunate. I don't, I don't want to say unfortunate, but this is like a, a product of today's times where we assume peace as the norm. Right. Whereas right. In, back in the day, brutality was the norm. You know, back in the time, back in the day, in the time of Sahaba, most men they were they were combat ready or had some form of training. Or right? they had swords Correct. with them. Correct. They had swords well, with uh, them. No. Yeah. They, yeah so they, they had some form of part, training. Part of the Jamaat would pray while the other part part of the Jamaat would watch. I mean, we all know yeah. that in the battlefields and how that worked out. Yeah, not even battlefields. Well, you see it even in, yep. uh, even in Mecca today. You have yep. security guards surrounding the Imam. Absolutely. Uh, when the during the prayer congregation so and that that was right and that was one of the things that came up to mind when i particularly with this with with two masjid literally about 10 minutes apart you had the linwood and then you had the anur Mm. is this is where you can get some cooperation if if you if you have brothers in your community going well i don't want to watch over the masjid i want to pray and you can stagger your jamaah times such that brothers from this jamaat can watch this jamaat and vice versa. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. The, you know, the, these are other, but again, you don't get to that level of thinking without the training involved. Without first starting yeah. risk, assessing risk and then getting to that. You, but hold you on, know, I want to touch on something yeah. here. So yeah. you said, okay, so like this guy came in, let's say I have all this, I have the security mindset. This guy comes in, but from, from the perspective of those people, they have no gun, they have no way right. of fighting back. So right. should it, should they not? Are they not better off playing dead? Because they're gonna die anyways. It, uh, they, I'm being devil's advocate. I don't yep, agree with this. Abs- yeah, this is right. the point I'm bringing up. No, but you can't so, really judge them, Amar, because they they had no idea what to really do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying in this yeah. situation, you have no training. You you could like rush yeah. them. You're probably gonna die. Yeah. You could hide. You're probably gonna die. You're gonna yeah. die either way. So why not just like what they did? Right. Isn't that what's gonna? Isn't that what they? I don't know. I don't. What I'm trying to get at is. From a devil's advocate perspective, if yeah. you have no gun, no training, they're playing yeah. dead because they're yeah. going to die anyways. Or if they rush them, they'll die anyways. Yeah. So, Well, the, again, the only control you have in s- such an instance is over yourself. Right. So you, not, you yourself also need to adopt, in addition to the collective of the group and that, but you yourself need to adopt what your individual security program and philosophy is. Um, in such an instance, like we see in some places where we, uh, due to laws or to other just you know uh, other variable other other things at play, we don't have armed um, brothers or sisters. Okay, um, we need to, as individuals, in this situation, make that split second decision when that guy comes in, and uh, and and like Brother Fahad was saying, it 
you know, it's kind of hard to individually say, well, what this brother did or what that sister did, you know, they, because they were they, in the black it, zone, right? Exactly. They were in the black zone, but part of this, you know, getting to the, to the, the point of developing that security program and to learn and train and think mm -hmm. about all of these things is to get to in your mind, would it, would I go at this guy? Would I be like this brother Abdulaziz at the Linwood Masjid? Would I go? Yeah. Would I go with this guy? Would I be like the other brother who unfortunately passed away? Who yeah, tried, but yeah, I saw that. He tried yeah, to jump him as well. Right. Exactly. And, he, and, and to and be honest, if a few other right. brothers were with him, right. like, like, let's say they went through the security training, yep. right? Let's yep. say they had that mindset. Maybe three other brothers who were in yep. the orange state of mind, yep. they could have jumped him with him and maybe they could have stopped him. Right. Be I think given training. when you're dealing with a lone shooter in this instance, particularly a lone shooter who he when he came into the masjid uh, onto the property into the compound he had a shotgun and he was shooting with the shotgun he dropped the shotgun and then proceeded in using an ar um mm -hmm. a carbine military style rifle it's a semi-automatic it shoot for yep. those of you who don't know what yep. that is a shotgun basically it's kind of a slow gun but it sprays bullets everywhere and then an ar-15 yep. is a uh it's a gun that shoots a lot of bullets really, really quickly. Yeah. As, essentially, a semi-automatic is it will automatically recycle itself. So every time you pull the trigger, it will fire. Um, the military uses um, weapons that auto, a lot of times are automatic, meaning they just hold the trigger and it continues to fire. So there is a bit of a difference. But for a proficient individual um, who's familiar with their firearm, um, and I'm not so certain this guy is an expert, but he's definitely not a novice. Um, he was, he, a, you, you are able to um, basically fire that, that, that weapon um, many, many, many times. Um, depending upon the magazines he had, um, most mag, standard magazines for an AR are 30 rounds. So, um, and when he drops that magazine, he pushes the button and a new, he loads another magazine in. Um, again, depending upon how proficient someone is, he seems to be reasonably proficient, but not an expert. He does not have the fastest magazine changes I've ever seen um, by any shot. Um, but during those times, he's vulnerable. Um, and a single shooter um, period is vulnerable, especially in short distances. You can cover 10 meters or less in a very short order. Um, and as we saw with the uh, Linwood situation, most shooters, um, when confronted, um, be it you throw a cup at them, be it you flick lights on and off, be it you do anything to distract them, it's, gonna, it's going to mess up their flow. So even unarmed in a case like New Zealand. Because they need if, a lot of concentration, right? In order right. Exactly. It, kill you. Not, or if you're, even exactly. if you're a moving object, right. run around. But also, you have to understand, he's doing his own risk assessment as he proceeds. Okay, especially the fact that most of these guys like this are very cowardly. Yeah, okay, exactly. Why, They're attacking why, why would an armed guy go and attack unarmed people if he was so brave? If he was so brave, he could have volunteered to go fight for the uh, Peshmerga or something and, and go fight ISIS or something. There's, yeah, there's exactly. How many, if he was actually there, brave, he would Yeah, do exactly. That. So if you hate, you know, Islam and the Islamic State, then, you know, go join the hundreds of other Western people. Uh, you know, uh, nut jobs currently over in Syria. But this is a guy who, you know, he's, he's going after a soft target on purpose. So 
um, you know, he, we know he went to Turkey. We know he, he didn't attack anybody in Turkey. Why? Cause he's alone. He knows he's, he's done. You know I mean? The moment he attempts to attack something, you know? So the, the point he was trying to, attack, this is yeah. kind of going a little bit off, off topic, but yep. the point he was trying to attack people was to, um, he didn't mind people living in their own countries, but he minded yeah. when Muslims lived in quote unquote white people country. Yeah. This, this I, I, you know, again, not to go off track, but his manifesto was all over the place. Yeah. Um, this guy has elements of radical leftism, radical rightism. He has elements that aren't even on the scale. The guy oh, says gosh. that China, the, the guy that says that China is one of his uh, like model countries. I don't know of any right wing conservative who would say that. But, you know, so, it, it, I mean, he's all over the place. And I think some of that could be, you know, getting, you know, not to get off the tangent, but some of that could be purposeful obfuscation. He's purposely trying to throw up a smoke screen. He's purposefully trying to cloud the picture about it. But particularly with the shooting, when a guy comes in like that, a single shooter, he's also assessing risk. You notice what happened when two rural policemen in New Christchurch stopped him. Yeah, with what? just one of them, only one of them had a pistol, right? Exactly. I mean, it was like, it was so quick. It's like, whoa, I, you know, boom, they hauled him out of the car and they, they bundled him up. Okay. So this wasn't one of those guys who was like, I'm not scared of death. Shoot me. Um, this was a guy who, ha ha when he was encountered by a guy with an office machine, who, and then even when uh, the brother Abdulaziz picked up one of the guy's guns that he had dropped. And he threw it at Right, he threw it out. This is a guy who got out of there. Yeah. So, so understanding that even if you are unarmed, when encountering an armed individual, they get scared you, too. They get scared too, and they get confused too. He's going into a building that he may have never been to before. He may have seen it from the outside. He's maybe he's never even been inside. So he doesn't know what's what door and what's where. So things that are anything designed to confuse him or to distract him or drive, will buy time for others to get away or buy time for you know others to get active to engage him it, it will either stop him neutralize him or cause him to flee in in some way shape or form now of course as we saw you rush a gunman you can be shot but i would remind you of um there's a, this great video um, uh, and if I can, I'll get the link and I'll send it to you guys. Um, the yeah, of a Somali brother in South Africa, okay, who was shot three times, okay, and still fought off the guy. Subhanallah. Be right, okay, because none of the vitals were hit. So you can still, even if you're shot in, in most areas of the thoracic or abdominal cavity, provided a, not a major artery is hit, um, you often have enough of that, you know, uh, energy, that, that, that adrenaline right. left yeah. to at least make the three, four more steps to the guy and to grab his gun and to do whatever you can to disrupt. And maybe another brother sees it and jumps on. So, but again, adopt that mentality in the beginning before you, before you are faced with a situation like that. Start thinking about it today and say, if I see gunshots and in my masjid, am I, what am I, what would I do? And again, the situation may change. You, what you may do or what you think you may do may not be what you end up doing. You may end up going straight to condition black.
Okay. Some people don't have the emotional uh, wherewithal to 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 be uh, to 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 act very effectively, it, no matter how much they desire to do so. But at least if you think you can, you have a chance that you will. Exactly. And if exactly. and if and if and if ten of us think that we can, at least a hand, some of us will actively do something. Um, and like I said, chairs, um, anything you can do will slow that guy down or stop him, neutralize him. It will mess him up. Um, and what you saw here with such a high body count in Anur contrasted to what you saw at Linwood with such a lower body count is really because of the difference in that he was engaged very quickly because a brother recognized the situation and that there was an engagement that took place. Um, so it, it's about, again, minimizing risk, mitigating risk, okay? You can be Jack Bauer, James Bond, Jason Bourne, if you notice all their initials are JB, I love that. But, <laughs> but you can be any of these three guys, okay? And you can be walking around a corner and somebody walks up behind you and shoots you. Okay, you can have all the training in the world and you can still get the drop on you. You can go down, okay? But if there's enough of us, as there is always in a Jamaat, there should be anyone. We should, with enough of us adopting a mentality of we're not going to sit here like sheep or we're not going to go to condition black. We're not going to prepare, so we're just going to go right to condition black. We're, some of us are going to think about what we would do, how we would do it. Um, starting that thinking process, not that you become fixated on it. it you know, or become just paranoid. Enough, or let it right, that's exactly what I was about to say. Don't become paranoid. We, don't, we, we ride in cars even though we know cars can get in accidents. We fly in planes even though we know planes can crash. Okay? But at the same time, we prepare. Okay? We make doa. We ask Allah to protect us when we drive our cars, right? but then we also drive our car safe. So there's multiple elements. So you make no offer your community to be safe. You, you do all those things. You, 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 you don't want that stuff to happen, but then you also take the steps necessary uh, in that security philosophy of thinking about it. You know, and I, I've seen this for so long and I'm glad I had a chance to talk to you brothers about this um, and share some of this knowledge, particularly because I, I mean, I've seen this in the masjid. We have masjids that aren't prepared for uh, a seven-year-old to slip and fall in the wudu area. Um, we don't have first aid kits. We don't know where the first aid kit is. Um, we don't know where to start A, you know? Um, so really we need to start thinking and involving everybody in the community, not just the four or five brothers that are interested in it, but really the sisters, you know, what fears do they have? Are they not bringing our children to the masjid because they are fearful? And, you know, are, are, are people not coming to the masjid because they're fearful? Or are they, you know, are they changing their habits in a negative or a bad way? You know, so all of these things, we need to have that. Each community should really have a, a workshop, sit yeah. a sit down and involve people and say, hey, Let's be a part of this. In, and again, in some communities are doing it pretty well um, already, but most communities I've seen are not doing it very well. Um, there's one community, um, uh, Masjid uh, Al-Hidayah in uh, Latham, New York, 
who seems to have a pretty good understanding of emergencies and, and things. And they've worked pretty well with their local law enforcement. They have a good team to work with um, there. But this isn't a solution that you can just, you know, we'll go out and buy this, put up cameras, solved. We'll go out, we'll, we'll call the local police, they'll do a drive-by every couple hours, solved. Um, this is something that you need to start with the basic understanding of philosophy of assessing that risk. Um, and then what is our philosophy here? Um, and again, what, what can you legally do where you are? What can you financially do? Um, if you're a masjid that is able to afford armed security, there's not very many, but there are some. Um, is there, are you a masjid that's not able to even afford one camera? You know, you, you need to operate within your resources and finances and you need to, you know, develop a philosophy and program that works for you in your location. Um, you know, there are, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, for all those listening right now, uh, primarily those listening are, are men and, uh, as men, you're supposed to be a qawam for not only your family, but also for your community and for your- uh, Absolutely. For, your Muslim, for the Muslim community at large, uh, for the Muslim community at large. So as a result, uh, you, you guys should be taking this conversation very seriously and be implementing or be at least thinking about um, bringing- How to implement this in your life, like to add on yeah. to Pod's point. Yeah, to, um, as like well as- This is our job. Yeah. And yep. bring all this stuff to your community, to your Muslim community, right. because a lot of you guys, you guys go for Jama, right? So you, all of you guys are going to be affected by um, yep. by these kind of concerns as well. So be proactive Absolutely. and like actually actually do something with the information that we're talking about. And and again, you know, we involve everyone because you know sisters can have have some unique insights. And they have some unique um, fears. And yeah, it's definitely. our job, as you said, it's our job to you know, be the guardians of our community and of our homes and of our sisters. So we need to know also if they feel uncomfortable, if they see something that's going on that we need to be aware of. They help us to be situationally aware also. Sometimes we get a little too carried away with focusing on one thing. We miss something else. Right. So, so, you know, sharing all that information, the more communication you have, the better. Yeah. I was, I just wanted to like to basically add on to Pod's point and ask you, uh, so right now you said we need to bring in that information, get everyone involved. So like right, right now, I just listened to what you told me and I want to take practical steps into cultivating the mindset, uh, yep. the security mindset. Uh, yep. How would I, how would I go about that? And second is I, I totally understand that like, you want to be calm and ready, you know, kind of like a predator. Right. Like yep. When a lot, when a, t when a tiger is hunting, he's very calm. So yep. you, you want to cultivate that, that security mindset. So that combat, I, you know, some people, ready, exactly. Yeah. Some so people like, call say, it like the combat yeah. mentality. Combat um, mentality. Yeah. Yeah. So like, let's say I train, you know, uh, maybe I, I started training Muay Thai or Jiu Jitsu, but what are other, what are practical steps I can take uh, to well, cultivate this mindset? Well, one thing that you practical that you can do, um, oh, hold on one moment. Oh, sorry. Well, yeah. Um, one thing that you can do um, right off the bat is recognize that you don't know much. 
Okay. Admit that you don't know much because the first thing a lot, a lot of people do is they go, Oh, I know that I got, it. okay. So, or <laughs> like, I, I, I can handle myself. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know any, like, like, right, I don't, I don't like, right. Where do I start? So if, right. So you don't know anything. The first thing I would recommend right off the beginning would be if you're in a masjid situation is I would start looking and brainstorming what resources you have in your community. Do you have any brothers that are law enforcement officers? Do you have any brothers with any security training or anything like that? Do you have anything locally that you can use as a resource? Um, you know, in, in, for, for instance, most communities of decent size have someone who has medical skills. <laughs> okay. So you can use that as a resource. Try, you know, the, same with security skills. There are brothers out there who work in law enforcement. There are brothers out there who work in, um, in the security industry. Even if they work at an entry level, they may have access to some materials. If you don't have that, there are a lot of great resources out there. There are many uh, YouTube channels. One of the best ones out there is Active Self-Protection. Um, where they will go through how to's of a lot of different situations. They'll show you real life scenarios. There are a lot of things just Googling, just, you know, I, I mentioned one of my posts, we spent hours on social media doing X, Y, and Z. It doesn't take that long to hop over and watch some of the training and learning resources. Many other resources, be it RCMP, FBI, some of these, they have publications and resources on their websites, active shooter resources, um, all sorts of other things. You know, this is where you get the, you know, the you've probably heard of the slogan, run, hide, or fight. Right. Right. You know, this is because that was put out by the FBI as a, as a training program. So this is where you start. And at this point, I think a lot of brothers and sisters are so far behind on understanding of the security mentality that any information would help because it will pique their interest um, in, in discovering a little bit more. Right. Um, so I would start with, you know, it, the, a lot of being that I, I come from a, a different background, I grew up in a slightly different cultural background with a lot more understanding and knowledge of firearms and, yeah, and other exactly. things. You, you have kind of like the base already. Right, have some base there. If you don't have that, you need to make those little steps forward and approach someone in your community. Um, you know, like the, uh, there was a great New York Times piece that Hassan Shibli, um, the brother with the AK there. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. And, I like that. Right, exactly. You know, and so there, I guarantee you, there's a brother like that in your community, probably somewhere. <laughs> you know, so yeah, so you find, you know, Maulana John Wick, okay, and or you find a brother like Fahim Farouk, Focus One Eighty. Yeah, Focus One Eighty, exactly. And you you find a brother like this and say, hey, you know, I'm in bad, I'm in poor shape. Okay, I can barely take on my four year old. Uh, you know, brother, get get you know, get me in better shape. You know, maybe I maybe I lose a little bit of extra weight, so I'm in better shape. So that in a situation like uh, something in Christchurch, maybe I can get away a little faster. Maybe I can take the guy on. You know, each of these little steps, it it, it really is about starting it and then looking locally for resources 
you know, yeah, there are books out there. There are this, some social media things, like I mentioned, you know, with, you know, active self-protection, he does short little videos on real life scenarios, but there are a lot of, you know, where, where is your motivation and willingness to learn? Right. And that's, that's where you need to start. I mean, we have motivation and learning w- willingness to learn, uh, the new, uh, Lady Gaga song or whatever, but yeah, you know, I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. but, but you, you gotta have some willing and learning to, 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 to step outside of your comfort zone. You cannot just rely on law enforcement. Precisely. You can't, you know, you can't just say, well, that's their job. Mm-hmm. Um, no, as we, you are responsible the, for protecting yourself and yep. you, as a man are responsible for protecting your family as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and as I've said multiple times over the past few days to many different people, when seconds count, and remember it was 29 seconds from the time he got out of his car to the bullet started flying, the police are minutes away. It was 20 minutes before the police actually got to unnervous you. Okay, so in that time period, 20 minutes, if you have a, a femoral artery that has been severed, you will die. A brachial artery, you will die. Okay. You know all of these things that you need you need to think about and think about okay where do we start as a community where let's assess our risk let's let's get to a philosophy what kind of a philosophy are we going to adopt and so, what am I going to do as an individual so and then if, yeah go well, ahead um, so I was going to say so if you were on the board of the of that El Nur Masjid what would you have done differently prior to the shooting if you or were, no, what would you do now. No, what would you do? Uh, both. Yeah, what'd you do? Both. Okay, so prior to what I would have done is I would have done a risk assessment of the masjid, um, top to bottom. Um, I would have pr- brought in what, my local. What kind of things would you be looking for? Okay, I'd be looking for how access. Um, how could someone get in? How do people come into our property and how do they leave? How many entrances do we have? Do we have eight entrances? Do we need eight entrances? One of the key things about any uh, uh, thing is uh, about any security is always about access, giving people access when they need access and when they don't need access. Um, you know, they, they had people parking inside the compound area. There was part, there was onsite parking. Um, was, was that necessary? What, as there was, there not enough offsite parking, you know, you need to uh, look at that. You should minimize the number of entrances and exits you have. Okay. I would also look at, we're do, instituting volunteers as far as watching the ca- parking lot, helping people in. These volunteers are not just keeping an eye out for anything that's going on. They're helping the older brother who walks with a cane. They're helping the sister who has three children, you know, get her bag out of the car. They're doing other things while staying alert. I would be, I would be looking at getting, you know, uh, a, a, the, not those volunteers out there no, just looking. Okay, the risk assessment of the building itself, I would look at egress and, you know, how do people get out of the building? If they're, and this comes down to a lot of it's connected to fire safety as well. As you may know, a lot of times a fire marshal will come into a building and they say you have to have two exits, you have to have all these things. So this comes down to egress. So if an incident occurs at this door, how do people leave? If an incident occurs here, how do people leave? And if you find yourself in a situation where, oh, if something happens in this hallway, the sisters are stuck in there, they can't get out. Then you need to start thinking about, okay, well, maybe we can put a door here. 
Um, you know, a lot of our architecture of our masjids is unfortunate in that a lot of times buildings were purchased or repurposed um, based on funds and availability and location, not necessarily with security in mind. But you, you need to look at all aspects of that. Where do people park? How they come and go? Where should they park? Um, where should they park? Uh, it, that depends on the site. If you're if you are going to allow cars to park adjacent to your building, you probably should have someone outside watching. In my opinion, in today's day and age, when it comes to the masjids, I would I would not suggest allowing cars that are basically coming off the street with who knows what, either coming in adjacent or even parking in a parking garage underneath or anything like that, because it is a matter of time before this gentleman himself said, Oh, I could have used a bomb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he said he it could have done anything. I could have used a car. Yeah. So, so I would not have, I would have recommended against that. Looking at the layout of the property again, I mentioned that alleyway, other things, you know, some of the advice, you know, that I've seen out there, and I want to bring up this, some of this ICNA advice that was brought up. So, Ikna puts out these like 10 tips, you know, about, well, what to do after an active thing. And, and I was just like pulling my hair out. My eyes were like coming out you of my were head. so triggered. Why? I, the post. It was good. I was so triggered because it was so passive that the, some of the points they put, they, they put, yeah, I'll pull it up. Yeah. Uh, no, Fahad's, Fahad's pulling it up. You don't. Oh, Fahad's pulling it up. Yeah. So like some of the points they put up, like, you know, clearing around things, putting up cameras, you know, they're okay. They're good points. Um, and, and, and that's, things, brochures. but you know, open mosque days and stuff. And I was like, are you serious? So, I mean, I really laid on the sarcasm and I, and I, and I put a post out and I said, I said, okay, uh, I'll have an open mosque day, active shooter, walk on in, just grab a brochure on the way oh, out. So I have the 10 tips here. Uh, if yeah. you want to just like, uh, bash them and you can yeah. go ahead. So, <laughs> the, the first tip is security cameras. Install security cameras to monitor vandalism and war potential arsonists. Okay, so security cameras will do you zero good if you don't have someone live monitoring them. Okay, all they are doing if you have a security camera is you are recording something which somebody may watch later. Okay, and if you're like most masjid, and I'm familiar with one particular Majid individual with a, cam with a camera system that I knew quite intimately that no one but a certain group had access to the cameras. They had no camera policy about who, how they watched things or recorded things. They didn't know how to use the tech they had. Um, you know, so it doesn't really do you any good if you're not live monitoring it from an active protection point of view. But they would probably protect against vandalism, right? They might protect... If, if you the are dealing, uncovered. if you're dealing with a person who is conscious about not getting wanting to get caught, but unfortunately, a lot of these kids, it's mask or it's baseball cap, and you don't know who they are. Um, you know, you there, and the, all they do, the police are going to come, they're going to get a video and they're a thing, and they're going to say, okay, that looks like 50 kids that I saw today. Okay, so a lot of times, it's not really going to do you very much good. Um, so and are, are security cameras good for anything then? Yes, they are good for post review of an incident or something, sometimes to verify or provide secondary uh, information to corroborate something. So I would recommend security cameras um, 
most masjids are not going to be able to use them in a primary um, role, but as a secondary thing. So if a brother says, for instance, well, brother so-and-so hit my car in the parking lot, it's beneficial. Yeah. If, or if like a shoe theft. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, I mean, or if a sister set, states that, you know, a, a brother hit her, okay? And you go on the tape and discover that he didn't, okay? They're useful for things like that. They're useful for secondary corroboration of an incident or an event. They're useful for after. But, and the other thing is, too, if you're going to get a camera system, you need to understand that is the camera system going to work when the power's out? Is the camera system going to work in low light? Um, what level megapixels do you have for a camera? Um, we've all seen the grainy bank cameras that don't show anything. So if you really, if you're going to invest in a camera system, it's better to invest in a good camera system rather than any camera system. Um, some people think that fake cameras are okay. They'll buy you a bit from a distance, but anybody who is really serious about, you know, doing something, um, can pick out whether a camera's real or not, usually pretty easy. Um, it's, it's one of those things too, where I, I use the old adage. I, I was very thankful to have a wonderful father growing up who taught me all sorts of useful things, such as a lock only keeps an honest man honest. So a camera, so what, so what I mean by that is a camera keeps an honest person honest. A bad guy generally is going to do something whether there's a camera or not. If yeah. there's a, if there's a lock on your door, okay, a lot of times uh, uh, somebody who's doing a, a breaking and entering or they're doing a robbery, they, won't, e the they won't even try. No, they won't even try the lock. They won't even try like to see if the door is open. It could be an open door and they'll just kick it in because they're, they're already committed to what they're going to do. Right. So, you know, you, you see this a lot, um, I, I, you know, in instances where, you know, whether it's graffiti or it's arson or whatever, this is somebody who's committed to doing what they're already going to do anyway. So a camera might help you provide some secondary corroboration, but it's usually, unless you're live monitoring it and you have someone who can respond to the incident as they see it, it's generally not going to help at all in an active shooter scenario. Um, and, and the other part of it too is in a very large, large, huge facility, um, if you had a facility like the facility I was overseeing at 220,000 square feet, okay, um, cameras are great when law enforcement arrives because they can actually use the cameras to see around the building and see if someone was still moving or, or that but, uh, on somewhere on the property. But in a small place like that, they're going to sweep and clear it pretty quick. So it's not even really going to be useful to them when they show up. Um, but the second, go ahead to the second. The second one was a clear surrounding. Install yeah, bright so, lights to keep to yeah. keep greenery to low levels. Yeah. So that, yep, that is helpful. However, if you eliminate everything, you have now provided your congregation zero cover and concealment. So <laughs> meaning meaning that everything that goes on on the property can be visually seen from the street. Everything. Which is bad. Which is bad, exactly. So you do occasionally want to have some privacy screening, and that privacy screening may be greenery. You also need to understand like lights and other things. You, you know, these these have practical considerations as far as how much electric you're you're gonna you're gonna use, how much it's gonna cost to install those things. So generally, just some basic motion activated lights and and some 
clearing around the general area of the building enough so that if law enforcement or that come to the they can give a quick view of the property enough so you can when you go out of the building at night you're not uh, looking and you know seeing if someone's hiding in the bushes those kinds of things but you it's overall again it's not going to stop an active shooter um type situation it may help you prevent a kid who's you know thinking of robbing something um or or and it will help i mean it's not but it's not a cure-all by any right. means yeah what definitely about, not for something like a shooting right right exactly what about um when you insult um it says clear surrounding install bright lights and keep greenery to low levels so um like it I can imagine in the nighttime, if you have your lights on inside the masjid, people from out, and it's dark outside, people from outside can see the masjid inside very clearly, but people from the exactly. inside can't so, see the people from you know, the And back to, this in, back to this incident in Christchurch, this guy knew where to park. He knew roughly what he was doing. So he had obviously done some basic reconnaissance or familiarity with the property. So he knew a bit about it. He may have even pulled up a Google Maps and said, oh, okay, this is what it looks like on the map. Um, you know, so, you know, he may have watched something. So some things you do want some cover and concealment from what's going on in your building, um, and giving people cover and concealment. So if people are fleeing the building and there are, they are able to get behind things or use things where he cannot see them behind them, uh, cars and other things that might be, you know, you have to take that all into account. If you have nothing but a big blank open flat area on all directions around the masjid, um, you're setting it up to get more people shot because as they attempt to flee, they're just fleeing right into the open. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that that wouldn't help in this kind of context. Right. It wouldn't. It wouldn't help. We'll probably read the next one. Phone slash SMS tree. Establish a phone or SMS tree so yeah. that. Yes. So a designated group can instantly reach out to the community in times of crisis. Yes. So this is, uh, again, on the preventative, this is one of those ones that I was, ah. so you're going to send a phone tree out later to who? Who's going to answer the phones? In, in, in Christchurch, you have 50 people. That's a significant proportion of the community. So who are, who are you sending out your phone tree to? You know, it, it, I mean, who's responding and what are they doing? I mean, it sounds great from a media point of view, like, okay, we're all going to get together. I know that point's coming up, but it's, but it's not, this is like, phone trees are great when you want to organize the, if like a protest or something. Yeah. Or the, or, or the protest. Exactly. In a crisis situation like this, you throw your phone tree right out the window. Okay. Because there's not really, most of the people intimately involved in the masjid are going to be there already. Mm -hmm. If that if that's going on, particularly on a Juma. Um, so it's not, you know, yeah, you can send message SMS messages about it later. Oh, we're gonna have a vigil. But from a from a from a security point of view, it doesn't really do that good. And particularly I'm surprised they do like a phone tree or SMS tree or something like that. There's other ways of media to, to put things out too. So I mean, but nonetheless, it's not it's not that helpful at all. But, yeah, but isn't it good not. to try to inform people? Like ASAP. Before it happens, you could probably, if they see the attack coming, yeah. they could send out SMS, hey, don't come to the mosque or get help. Right, but right. But in this instance, a, a lot of times, um, you that required one of the things that, again, 
you have to look at the limitation of the community. If you don't have someone, if you don't have a dedicated in-house security uh, personnel who are monitoring those cameras, who, who can initiate certain processes, who's going to initiate it? The people who may be tasked to initiating that may, in this instance, may have been shot. They themselves yeah. may not be there to initiate that process. So how is that? If, if you are like a lot of messages, you only have maybe three, four or five people that actually have any authority to do some of these things. So it mm -hmm. becomes very, I mean, people send messages to each other and they say, you know, are you at the message? Don't go there. They're getting deluged with SMSs. They're getting texts or getting this, but there's really no, a phone tree that again, it's good for like it's nothing proactive, but in a chaos type situation, it's, not going to be very helpful yeah next one Bob. safeguard documents critical documents for your mosque should be kept in a safe location with digitized backups wait so what kind of documents would you are important to a mosque anyway like what treasury or something Mar uh financial documents marriage certificates or things <laughs> like that if they have them but the, guys but, save but, the documents we need the documents i know but, but again you just, just brought up <laughs> amar you, you just hit the nail on the head so it's life before property it's always life before property the masjid can burn to the ground with all the documents inside if everybody lives yeah exactly okay? don't so if you're talking about like yes documents are important they are important for business continuity they're important for other things but today if you you know if as part of your standard business practices you don't have backups then that's just a failure of standard business practice that's not a security issue <laughs> yeah exactly. i mean I mean, if you lose your if you lose your PhD thesis, doctoral thesis, because you only had it on one laptop and it crashed and burned, um, then you know That's you shouldn't fault. get a PhD. But <laughs> I mean, it's it, but so really, I mean, what ICNA is doing is they're throwing out some feel like, oh, we got to put something out. So let's put out some of these general feel good things. It's like well, you just had an active shooter situation where fifty people were killed. Yeah, okay, and you're telling yeah. and you're telling them to make sure the documents are okay. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, like, it, I, so I just took, I just took that as like, I, are you tone deaf? I mean, that is very tone deaf. That is blind. Very it's kind of inconsiderate as well. Yeah, it is, and it's inconsiderate exactly because, I mean, do you think any of these sisters or brothers who have lost their loved ones care of even a bit whether the electric bill, okay? somehow got saved you know no, they no, didn't no. get they no, don't no. care okay so again it's always life above property always life and reactive things will not deal with the situation they will never deal with situation when you have yeah. a real situation of potential force you have to meet it with equal or greater or you have to be willing to put distance between you and that there is yeah. because it's just not going to you know, we, I, I love, I, you know, uh, there was an incident uh, uh, recently where it, we have, we have this Senator uh, Vermont, uh, Senator Sanders, and he, mm -hmm. you know, he's pushing and, and he's using this incidents as are many others in New Zealand, of course, to say, <laughs> oh, it's gu guns are bad. Guns are bad. Guns no, are bad. It's, the, it's so stupid. But it's funny because they're at rallies with security people with guns guarding them. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and and when you are in, a, like, who responded to the incident in Christchurch? It wasn't people with, with water. Guns. It was it was people with guns. 
So yeah. whether whether or not you yourself are able and capable legally, uh, physically, mentally, uh, whatever to 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 use force, be it a firearm or something else, to use force, you have to admit somebody has to use force to meet that. Right. 100%. Because if, uh, yeah. Right, and it, and if you're relying on law enforcement to use force, you're 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 waiting minutes for it minutes and where seconds make right. life or death so so you're the only potential force that's on site yeah. until that until, until they until someone arrives so yeah i you know if somebody comes to me and says you know i'm not comfortable using a firearm i'm not comfortable using force i don't think i could do this okay if your security philosophy calls for you not to do that and your security philosophy calls for you to put distance between you because distance equals safety. To put distance between you, that's fine for you. If you, you better have a bunch to, of exits, then right? Yeah, that's right. You gotta have a bunch of exits, and that's fine for you. But for me, I'm not going to take my chance. I'm going to adopt. I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna meet force with what force I can. Bring Agreed, hundred percent. And I want I want to add on this to your point. Uh, like you know how you said it's it's not posted this thing. We're not we're not through all of it yet. But you can see the idea is, oh, we need to reach out to the community, have open mosque day, and reach out Too to soft. people. There's a misunderstanding. No, that's not – it's not a misunderstanding. Yeah. People are evil. They want to kill us. And you can right. tell them, guys, Islam is this. It doesn't matter. They're going to yeah. do what they're going to do, and you have to – you have I mean, to defend yourself. A misunderstanding is thinking that all Muslims pray East because you watched a movie. Yeah. You know, that's a misunderstanding. And somebody comes to the masjid and they learn, oh, now that not all Muslims pray East, you know, that's an old super. OK, I, I get it. You know, um, you know, that's a misunderstanding. But generally for somebody, you know, and I don't want to you know steal the thunder from Ickness points, but, you know, coming up ahead when they when they talk about like these things like open mosque day stuff, these are generally people that are already conceptually open to learning about Islam. They're generally they're not Islamophobics, okay? They yeah. generally have already crossed a mental threshold where they, where, they, where they are willing to learn something from a reason, from a, from a common sense point of view. Mm -hmm. um, they're not, you're not going to get the uh, Kurt Wilders in your masjid. What's a Kurt Wilders? Kurt Wilders is the radical, crazy Dutch politician who's very anti-Islam. Oh, okay. But what you will get, and it's rather interesting, is one of his subordinates actually has become a Muslim. Yeah, I saw that. Some of these, some of these radical Islamophobes, they do eventually crack and they start to come over. But that's not going to happen. You With know, all that's, a, that's rare. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing. You have to be able to defend yourself to stop yep. something like this. Oh, yep. bro, no, don't shoot us. We actually like, we're actually good people. They don't care. Yeah, well, they're going to kill you regardless, man. Yeah, yeah they're and, terrorists. I mean, we've all seen, uh, you know, th there's so many of these. Uh, you know, we we've seen the the movies and the films, you know, and the, and where the where the big hero takes on the guy with the gun. You know, it's not like that in real life. It is scary. It is like you can lose your life. There's no reset. There's no pause. There's no, no respawn. Right. You know. And you know, but, you know. Actually, go on, go on. Yeah, but but. The point is, if you don't try, you have zero chance. Exactly. Uh, if you sit there and just look at the at the shooter, you, 
you're offering nothing at all in the way of protection, self-protection. And you will more than likely be shot. And, you know, things like playing dead or hiding under bodies, these are things that, you know, depending on the situation, you know, you, you may find yourself wounded and you may find yourself in a situation where you have, that's the only thing you can do is hide behind a body or something because you are wounded. But if you are in a situation where you're capable and able, you, you have to try to meet yeah. force. force. hundred percent. And we have to like take, you know, like you said, we need to cultivate that security mindset. We should go into our communities, you know, watch those videos, maybe find someone who's an expert, take classes. You learn how to shoot a gun. Learn how to, yeah. Learn how to yeah. Within yeah, exactly. Like, it, take, get a concealed carry license. Right. Yep. And, yeah. and that's the other thing too, is don't say to yourself, well, I know nothing about guns, so I shouldn't do anything. No. Yeah. You guys start, start, you know, do, do I think that if you don't know, if you know zero about firearms, okay. Do I think you should go out and buy a firearm and then carry it around with you every day and think that you can protect yourself? No. No, you need lots and lots of training for it. You need training. You need to know what the legal ramifications are of not only owning that weapon, but using that weapon. Some states have like, I was talking, you know, castle doctrine. Somebody comes in your house, they're deemed a threat. You can shoot them. Some states, even if they come in your house, you can't shoot them unless they actually are posing threat to you. So you can find yourself in what in one state is perfectly legal, but in another state is a murder. But in, in a lot of places, gun, you just can't get your hands on guns. So what would you do in that yeah. situation? I mean, uh, you, today I went to, I, I just want to give you an example. Yeah. So like today I went to a store um, I, in which I, I purchased a knife for my dad, a really fancy one. Yeah. So it, it was a military store. Yeah. So they, they sell the old military equipment um like jackets and and knives and and uh, i asked the guy what would be good for self-defense self-protection um he shows me a couple of things one is like an iphone that it has it's a, it has a stun gun on it yeah so it's a stun gun but it's shaped like an iphone that's one second thing he showed me was pepper spray yep yep and then the third thing he showed me was a a black nightstick or a baton yep that like so, yes there's used for protesters right Yep. There are a wide variety of what are called non-lethal or less than lethal um, uh, options out there. Knives generally get you in a lot of trouble vis-a-vis law enforcement in many jurisdictions, but also because they're not so easy to learn, um, you know, to to learn how to actually wield a knife and utilize it. Um, Things like stun guns and that are reasonably effective from close proximity but oftentimes if you're in that close proximity um you're better off trying to just disarm them um Mm. if you're that close even the the stun guns that work from distance ones that you can fire and shoot out to like 15 feet you have to hit the target you have to uh if they have a lot of heavy clothes on it doesn't always work um you know, there's a lot. Of, so you have to weigh the pros and cons. Again, if you live in an area where you can't get a firearm, sometimes this is the best option. Right. Um, but again, there's a lot of, and in some instances, the, the, and again, check the laws where you are. In some instances, you're, you may get in more trouble using a stun gun 
than you would a firearm. Some jurisdictions, they're actually banned. And in some jurisdictions, pepper spray. Um, because what happens is people use it in the grocery store on the person next to them because they cut them off. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so, again, so stupid. It is, it is. So, but again, again, if someone, you know, the, the old saying goes, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Yeah, um, if, exactly. if, you, if you can get a gun and if you can be competent in its usage, um, mm-hmm. you're not going to have any ADs. An AD is an accidental discharge, okay? You're not going to be going to bathroom in the back of the restaurant and all of a sudden, bang, okay? Um, these, you know, y- you have to be competent in the usage of it. Um, it can't be something you're going to buy and then put it home in a safe. And when you're at Juma, it's at home, you know, so all, and you also have to comply with what the re, what the, with certain things. If you have schools, for instance, you cannot bring a firearm to a school. So there are, you can't bring a firearm to a courtroom. There are places that have been designated as gun-free zones, whether we like it or not. Right, so you have to obey the law, essentially. You have to obey. You can't bring a firearm when you're flying from Phoenix to Chicago. Okay. So you you do have to obey the rules. So you have to, even if you own a firearm, you still have to be prepared to deal with the situation in an unarmed fashion. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And and to contemplate that. But again, closing, if you're in proximity, closing distance with these folks, a lot, even, I mean, the most professional operators in the world will have difficulty maintaining focus if lights are flashing things are getting thrown at them people are coming at them they don't know from where um you know you you will you will mess them up and even that one guy who did tackle him in the masjid yeah uh, i forgot his name do you remember his name that one the, i don't remember the brother I, uh, I remember his son's name talha but i don't remember his name um i have to look it up um, but yeah, he made an effort. He made an attempt. Um, and he got, he actually got hands on the guy's firearm. Yeah, he and, did. He, yeah. And he got him down. He got him down. And he did, right. Right. So, you know, those, those, that may have been, even though we don't know that definitely went into the mindset of the shooter. That yeah, definitely. Naeem, Naeem did something. Was his name. Right. So, he, you know, maybe one or two people were managed to slip out just in that one time period. So, you know, maybe even though he ultimately didn't succeed in stopping the guy, he may have opened up enough of a window for maybe even one or two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, exactly. And then you know, four of us have that mindset, at least like five would be, yep. would be successful. Yep. I mean, also and, self-sacrifice, you know. Yeah, it, and, that's, and that's the other part of it, self-sacrifice too, in the sense that you understand that, um, again, this is our responsibility as men in our community to protect our community. And to protect, you know, protect our, the women our, folk as well. Protect the women and the children and other people who can't protect themselves. Advocate for them. In, it's in more. Every, I was going to say it, it's more okay for a man yep. to die than it is for a woman or a child to die in Absolutely. any community. Absolutely. This is, this is man code. We should, you, you guys should know yep. this. Yes, man one hundred and one. I mean, and that's what I was taught. Also, I mean, growing up is that you know I I come from a very rural Vermont lifestyle, much more similar to as as I like to tell people. Um, I didn't become a Muslim so much as I realized that I was already a Muslim. So, like similar traditional values and the mindset exactly. was like gender interaction and like it, having and, and, for your sisters and your women folk. 
I mean, it's a fact. And I know Fahim could probably give you the most accurate, Brother brother Fahim could probably give you the most accurate percentage, but like the same size male, weight for weight, has like 40 or something percent more upper body strength than a woman does. Right. Yeah. I mean, so you're you're built already for combat. Yeah, Um, exactly. You know, not that there isn't, there, there are sisters out there who they're, they're strong. Know, yeah, of course. They're strong. And, 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 they, and, and, and they can try to protect themselves when they have to. But, but we shouldn't assume that's the case. With no, her. but that's like a last resort kind of thing. We shouldn't assume. Exactly. It's a last resort. We shouldn't assume. And two, they shouldn't have to. Exactly. There should be a long line of us standing up before even one sister has to think about it. 100%. Yeah. That's oh, wow. how it is with the fifth as well. Yeah. But, you know, going on with some of their points, I know they had, what was some of the other good one they had? Yeah, I, read them. Uh, yeah, I can read them. Um, yeah. Media co- uh, compliance. Oh, yeah. Compliance Compli- check. Compliance check. And like, so it's like they're preparing for an audit or something. So, yeah, we're in compliance. We've got all of our signs up and all that. And then they had one like if they had have a media contact or something like that. I'm like, that's a post thing. Yeah, that's a post thing. And not only that. In, but is it, in, is, it pre-active, is it proactive by any means just trying, to elim- trying to reduce the amount of Islamophobia that exists within your own community? It is proactive. But at this point, there is so much noise out there. there, there I mean, there is so much noise out there on social media, on everything, anti-Islam. That, I see it on my own Facebook feed from people who I'm related to. Okay, so there's so much of it everywhere out there that it's not gonna really gonna make a difference. It's not gonna make a lot of difference on on a small micro scale. Um, Yes, you should do the events where you have the open moss. Yes, you should invite in the local, you know, organizations and, and, and be on good terms with people. But do not think for one second that it's a solution to it's not gonna stop. The a lot of these guys or you know we haven't seen a gal do this yet but a lot of these nut jobs are literally in their underpants in their parents basement at 2 a.m in the morning writing all sorts of manifestos and dribble they are not out learning objectively with common sense good judgment they are they are in many ways what we've seen with you know we've seen it in our own community we've seen brothers um who have kind of gone off reservation what do you mean by that what i mean is like you know you you meet this one brother and then you know the next 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 year you meet the brother and he's 180 degrees the other direction and you know he's he's spouting stuff he's he's sharing stuff on media he wants you to watch this video you know you know it's they you you can see this tendency in some people who sit on social media or who live in their nihilists yeah they they live in their own world like no like this guy specifically he was talking about racial preservation this that the other like no one talks like that anymore no one talks like that anymore like no why doesn't he no why no even if he wants to do that why doesn't he go marry marry like a white woman, have like ten babies? He talked about that in his manifesto. No, I know he had some BS reason. 
But yeah. I'm just saying, like, well, this if this a bit off topic though, huh, Mark? Yeah. yeah. This symbol he had, this symbol he had was was you know was part of this great repopulate you know, some some garbage out of France or something to do with the white race. But it, like like I said, I think he was throwing up a lot of smoke. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And and ultimately, I don't really care if the guy comes in with a a, a white power flag or a or Hindu flag comes in with the, with the knights templar cross or or what okay the guy's killing muslims yeah he's a killer evil he's a killer um and and when i mean i can guarantee you that about the first time that someone like this steps foot in a masjid and they encounter a prepared jamaah um the death toll is going to be zero or very small and they're going to be very sorry that they stepped foot in there Mm -hmm. because what what gets handed over to the police um is not going to be in good shape yeah 100 percent. but yeah that's that's how it should i mean it's kind of like when a kid gets bullied the bully doesn't stop until you you fight back right right it's the same thing and and you know Again, this guy's cowardly. He's purposefully hitting a target. He purposely said he wanted to kill women and children. Yeah, he, he said that. He wanted to kill innocents. You know, and, yeah. and so, you know, the, w- when they're encountered with force, a guy like this is going to stop. Now, you know, on the other side, if you, if, if you had a professional, if you had somebody who really knew what they were doing and really coordinated and really whatever, yeah, it's going to be difficult to counter someone like that. But most folks in that category usually have half a wit about them not to do something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and like I said, and I someone think, like that's probably like, you know, fighting in a war or something. Like, right. Not- I don't think he was an expert. He wasn't a novice either. But what he showed with his skill with firearms was enough to show that he obviously knew what he was doing to some yeah. degree. Um, but he wasn't confident enough in his skills to counter what the brother did at Linwood must do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, he was not, was not able to deal with that. Yeah. And had we had more instances like that, it would have neutralized it much quicker. More people should get credit card machines. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, credit card machines, I mean, exactly. But I mean, it, seriously, anything. Of, I mean, yeah. a phone, even your phone. A phone, any, yeah. There is an instant. You go for the eyes, is an immediate reaction you go for anybody's eyes is to turn away mm-hmm. immediate I, there is no human on the face of planet earth that will stand there and let you poke them in the eye that's a very important point so you know, if that, you, that point will save people's lives yeah throw throw go for eyes okay um anything you can do like um and and like i said you know making the place dark turning the lights back on um Pep, that's why pepper spray is so effective we mentioned that earlier is partly because it gets in the eyes the eyes burn they tear it doesn't one of the problems with pepper spray too is you realize that when you spray it generally anything in the vicinity is going to have problems including yourself right. so um pepper spray is 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 you know that's one of the cons of it is you, you if you use it you have to be aware you're going to get it get it as well yeah I kind of wish, like in in that mosque thing, that some of the brothers went and just like went Allahu Akbar and just like ran into him. Yeah, 
and uh, like exactly we're going full, yeah, G, going full jihad said, mode. <laughs> no, well, the guy said he yelled, he yelled slurs at him. He tried to distract him. Yeah, yeah. the credit card machine at him. He was he was trying to distract. He was in the he was he Did was he? like in that state of mind that I need right. to distract him. I need to get him away from the mosque. He, and he, like you know we. We have to be like that. Like that's you know that's it, the only way. Right. It's it, it's kind of like you know. Uh, it, I just for some reason I don't know why this popped in my head, but it's kind of like Jurassic Park in the in the in the Duke Jeff Goldblum or whatever's trying to get attention of the dinosaur over here, over mm-hmm. here. You know, what I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, literally, he was trying to draw his attention, like saying, "I'm over here, I'm over here. Shoot at me, shoot at me." Um, and that get that bought time. Um, and that was one of the most important things is, is, is time, you know, you allows you to get some distance and allow people to get away, um, while you were doing that. If you had five, six brothers doing that, that's five, six things he has to pay attention to. That's five, six directions that he has to guard against. That's, you know, all these different pieces, it stops him. It neutralizes him. It makes him his, you know, as they, they usually say in the military, it makes his combat effectiveness decline. Zero. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. People would say, people would say, like, "Oh no, he would just shoot them normally," but that's clearly not the case because it would throw off right. his composure. Right. Exactly. And you can, and, and again, you can be shot and keep going. Yeah. Um, even if you are shot, you know, right in your point blank, you yeah. you generally can keep going. Um, that's good to. That's actually good to know as well. Yeah. For and, how many seconds do you think? It depends on where you're shot. There, if you're shot in the, the moment, if you're shot in the abdominal cavity, which is below the lungs and chest, below the diaphragm, you are going to have some a lot of pain. But if you have a lot of adrenaline pumped up, you're probably not even going to really realize that you're badly hurt um, for at least a few minutes. Until um, you generally are going to, you know, especially you're going to see oh that you have blood. Some people don't even realize they've been shot until they actually see blood, then they realize it's theirs. Um, yeah. You yeah. get that. Ad- you get that adrenaline, adrenaline rush. pump up. Right. You don't yeah. really, you're not aware of it. Um, generally, the only thing that's going to stop you is if a major artery is hit, um, in which case you're going to lose blood so quickly. You may lose consciousness. You may, um, you, you're going to, you know, you're not going to be able to move very effectively. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to collapse. Or mm-hmm. if you, a major bone structure like your hip or something like that gets hit, then you're not going to be able to move. Um, but generally, a, 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 t- a tissue or a, or a flesh wound or a, even, a, even a chest wound, um, if it's not anything immediately vital, um, you, you, you might not even notice it, um, in fact. And, you know, the thing is, the, the shotgun that he used originally, um, most people recognize a shotgun from point blank range is actually much more devastating. Um, yeah. From far, it's not. Yeah. A, a rifle uh, or a carbine like what he used second at close range, the round is traveling at such a high velocity, it's probably just going to pass right through you. Um, so the round is not going to, you're not, you're going to have a small entry and exit wound. You're not, it's not going to be that massive trauma that you'd see per se with a shotgun from close range. Yeah. Um, so th- there's, you 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 will have some fight left in you if you yeah, adopt exactly. that combat mentality. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, uh, for, men should for people also, that are all for people that men are should be ready to. Oh, we go. Yeah, for people. Oh, yeah, let me let me finish, and then you can say it. Uh, for people that are like skeptical and they like to say, "Well, you don't know what you would do." The thing is, you have to think, "I will act," 
because you can't afford not to think like that. It's like going right. to a fight. You can't think, what if I lose? You can't afford to think like that. Right. You right. have to, the, the, the thing is, is that if you don't try, you have zero chance. Yeah, exactly. Like if you don't try, you have zero chance. So you have to have the mindset of, I can right. make it, I will win. And you just have to have that mindset given the training and everything else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and yes, there are, I mean, it, someone will always come up with an obscure example and say, well, wouldn't you do this, this, and this, you know, again, it's always, this is part of the reason why you have to adopt the proper philosophy and think through because there's a hundred million situations on top of the hundred million you think of. Um, and you cannot possibly figure out and plan out every single one. Mm -hmm. So you adopt the over overall philosophy and then go from there. Um, and you know, some of the other points that they threw up, uh, create a crisis management team, you know, some of these other ones that relationship with law enforcement, you know, they're not horrible ideas, but they're not active. They're not, they're not designed to meet level of threat. You know, mm -hmm. I do recommend, and I do think that anybody uh, should be aware that if you have a competent local law enforcement agency, and I use the word competent because some law enforcement agencies, if you're in a small area, they don't have a lot of resources. You might need to reach out to a larger provincial or a state police. But if you have a competent local law enforcement, you know, it is a good idea to get them to come in, meet, you know, people, get an idea what the layout of the building is, maybe give you some pointers in that. But it's not going to, uh, they're not going to be there at that moment when the shooter comes, mm -hmm. like in Christchurch. They're going to be coming after the fact. And, you know, it's an important thing, too. I noticed uh, one other thing that just popped into my head was Brother Abdulaziz was arrested by the police when they arrived on scene. And they did not release him until half hour later. And the reason why was because one of the witnesses said they saw him with a gun. He had picked up the shooter's gun and he had thrown it through the windshield of the car, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, through, through the side thing of the car. Yeah. So they didn't know if he was a bad guy or a good guy. So one of the other things about thinking is you need, your community needs to be prepared for what happens when the police arrive. Because the police are going to come into your masjid and they're not going to know who's a good guy and who's a bad guy. They don't know if there's one shooter, two shooters, or three shooters. So that's why you need to have a good relationship, right? Exactly. So you need to have a good relationship. You can't be, look, we may disagree with some of the things that various government agencies and various governments do mm. in the West. Mm -hmm. We may disagree with, you know, what policing policy NYPD has. Mm -hmm. But we also need to realize that if we have a masjid in New York City and there's a shooting, that they're the ones that are going to come. So we need to take a proactive approach in, 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 in knowing, okay, this is, this is what would happen. Um, you know, you may not like that you're, you know, because you've just been traumatized, you've been shot at, and then here come guys with guns pointing at you again. They're going to be so scared. That, right, exactly. That, so you need to prepare people, especially children and kids. They need, they, I mean, it, they are going to be completely traumatized. You know, you need, you do need to be prepared for what comes after 
and you do and so things like crisis management team you're gonna you you're gonna need counseling you're gonna need an imam that has the ability to counsel not all imams can do that um you know you're gonna have people who are not gonna want to go back to that masjid so you do have to think about all those things as well but really when i saw that ignis i was just like you're not talking i mean pete yeah, that happens, and and people need to, you know, you know, we need to have a crisis management. We need to have this. We need to have this. We, these are all good things, but you're not stopping anything. You're not you're not stopping the shootings. You're not stopping the vandalisms, the graffiti's, or anything. You're not actively doing anything if you don't adopt the right mindset. Right. Also, like another message to the guys is that um, be like. In this kind of situation, this is a chance for you to be martyred in like a, in a halal way. So, <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's the thing. We know. I mean, if you, uh, you know, no one wakes up in the morning and says, "I hope this happens." Right. Okay. But if it does, and often, you, are, you know, I want to go and, out the right way. You know, do on the day of judgment on Yamul Kiyama, do you want to be the guy who ran and hid, or do you want to be the guy who saved? So and so in life. So and yeah. so, and running from the battlefield isn't that um, uh, isn't that like a big sin? It is. It is. And, but I mean, again, this is not a battlefield. Though. It's not right. a battlefield, of course. Right. Again, but and again, there. I mean, there are whatever. individual circumstances. I mean, like it. You know, we had it. We had a sister who was outside the masjid. She went back in to try to rescue her husband, who was quadriplegic, who was in a wheelchair. Subhanallah. Okay. Yeah, the Bangladeshi and, sister. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Husna, sister Husna. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, and you know, she went. She she tried to to go back in to help, you know, get him out because she was worried about him. But there are situations where, if you're a brother, for instance, and you are able to get your two children out, okay, and you're not able to go back in to get your wife or this there's that's what I was saying before. There's always scenarios somebody can throw out there and you can say, well, what about this? Well, what about that? You know, so you do the best you can do, but you start with the combat mentality of I'm going to do something. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I'm going to do something. I'm I, not going to sit, not do anything or not even think about it. Muslim men should aspire to get to a point at which they do not fear death. Right. When and it, it's like when you crash, you know, if you get in an automobile accident, you right. have to think, what am I going to do if I get in an automobile accident? Am I going to stay in my car and call, or am I going to get out of my car and try to help other people? Um, if I get out of my car and try to help other people, I might get hurt. Somebody else might crash into me. Right. You know. You, but these are things you need to think about in advance. You need to think about things and then have the the I, I'm a doer mentality. I'm an actor. Yeah, I'm not a, a, right. I'm not an observant. I'm not a spectator. But obviously, um, you want to uh, you want to save yourself first. But at the same time, you want to yeah. do things at the same time. I mean, when we learned when I learned CPR because I'm CPR certified. Yeah, I Good. I was told that if there's a dangerous situation, like if they're in oil and it's like a car accident that I shouldn't go risk myself because it's going to make two problems then rather than just one. Correct. 
there is there is again an element to that you don't want to add to the problem but you also have to recognize the opportunity sometimes to to kill two birds with one stone you know or or to you know to 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 gamble in essence i don't you know not use that word but to take a chance to try um so mm -hmm. sometimes yes i see the guy in the room passed out and maybe I shouldn't go in that room because there might be something in the air. But at the same time, many people have been saved because somebody did something they weren't supposed to do. Precisely. And so, you know, are you supposed to run at a gunman? I don't think, I, there's a lot of people out there who go, are you crazy? You don't run at a guy with a gun. Yeah, I mean, but one of the guys did it and he almost did, and he almost won. But exactly, that's the point. But mm -hmm. you try, you, you again, there's there are doers and there's spectators and and usually the doers come out ahead okay yeah um and if you don't in this situation you have you, know, you have jenna to wait for you have jenna exactly you you know you did say, you know again your intention your intention is to help save life to protect guard you know and you know and whether you succeed or not, the benefit is there. Yeah. yeah. What's his name? Uh, I think it was Tariq bin Ziyad when he burned his boats on the shores of uh, southern Spain. Yes. He said, I, he said yeah. that uh, before us men is either victory if we're alive or Jannah if we die. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, so... He and, and you know he inspired, and that's what we need to do with our younger generation now is inspire a level of confidence that we are. I mean, I like the term that we're lions walking the earth. Yeah, you know, I love it. And and you got to go out and get your get you know get something. Oh yeah. You know? and, and I'm not going to let a little fly get in my way. And there's, there's a lot of these, you know, guys out there that are going to do things like this. They're going to throw the, the pig head in front of the masjid. They're going to, you know, call on the phone. They're going to do all these things. Meet these guys head on. What do you mean you by know? meet yeah. these guys head on? Like, what, what do you don't, suggest? Like, if there's a pig head in front of my masjid, what am I supposed to do? Well, not call the authority, is, of course. But. Well, yeah, you call the authorities. But, I mean, you know, if you see a guy coming running. Intimidate him a little bit. You know, then you challenge him. Yeah, you know, cause bus. Yeah, cause bus. Yeah. You coward! Come on, you want yeah. to throw a pig at our masjid? Come on, come on. We're come armed. On you know, <laughs> and you know, I mean, because the, these guys that do this kind of stuff, they're cowards. they're cowards they're, to begin with, right? They're cowards. So if they're you cowards. show just a little bit of ferocity, yeah. you show a little bit of intimidation, yeah. they'll get intimidated. They're picking on you, and they're because picking you're on because they think you're weak. They yeah, think yeah, that you're exactly. not. You're so don't not, show them that you're weak. Right, you don't show them you're weak. You fight, you fight back, and and again, that's part. It's it, it's part of that combat mentality. It's also psychological warfare in the sense that if you put even the seed of doubt mm -hmm. in this guy's head, that he's gonna get beat down the moment he steps foot on any masjid, he's gonna think, I don't think I'm gonna do that. Yeah, right. I 100%. mean, and even if that only works in half of the people that go on to do something you've still stopped half precisely so, you save lives yeah. exactly
also, um, do you want to continue going through the 10 tips? Of uh, I think we've hit all of them. I think we've hit most of them. Coalition um, building with faith-based and civic organizations. Yeah, it's already I mean, happening. Yeah. yeah. The Again, this is the same kind of stuff that I've seen. Unfortunately, a lot of our Islamic organizations, be it ICNA or some of the uh, some of the other groups that are out there, have become kind of mouthpieces for, I guess I would say, a lot of passive liberal left kind of causes. Um, Welcome to our show. What's that? <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to, to our show. Mail's Monday Mail. <laughs> exactly, and and they and you know all these things that they've picked up. I mean, they're out saying, you know, they're, they're out promoting this sister who next week is out promoting LGBTQ, you know, causes, you know, they're, uh, so, so I wasn't, I mean, they're, they're picking up their talking points. They're not deriving, yeah, they're not deriving their opinions from Islam. Mm -hmm. They're not basing their thought process on, well, what does what's the hawk you know what what is the what is the hook here what i mean they're not they're not approaching it from that right it's a um, bit of a that's a bit of a side topic that's like a side yeah. tangent yeah but, but no but yeah I, we but, can we can do that next time <laughs> yeah but yeah. but when it comes but when it comes to this issue that's what particularly with the 10 issues of what i mean really islam tells us how to respond to threats how to respond to you know, uh, you know, Islam's not a religion of. It's, it's well, very practical, comes, right? It's, not, it's very practical. It, yeah. Islam's not a religion of. Well, somebody comes running at you with a gun, you know, we adopt the Buddha philosophy of you know pacifism. Pacifism. That's, no, that's not. It's not no. at all. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm getting at. Is I'm getting it is that is that it's not surprising that Ikna would put something out like this. Yeah. Because they're not basing their 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 security advice or their their thought process on instances like this on Islam, right? They're basing it on a on a polit on a socio political calculation. Um, that's that's not in line. Precisely, yeah, definitely. Uh, so to recap, uh, the practical steps that we can take as individuals in our community to develop a security mindset is contact people that are maybe experts, find out like who, like our relationship with the law enforcement as a mosque, find out the exit entry points of the mosque, maybe like get, take initiative to maybe uh, implement like, these things yourself. Like bring it up to your community, community leaders. leaders. Right. That's yeah. Bring it up to your community leaders. Yes. Look for <clears> resources <throat> in your community, but go to your community leaders and be, don't be afraid to ask the question saying, have you thought about this? Maybe we should start because any solution has to be a solution for that location and for that community. Because what this masjid can do and what that masjid can do are going to be a little different. Um, there are those overarching themes like we talked about today. You know, you've got to have situational awareness. You've got to have that combat mentality. You've got to have this idea that you're going to meet force with force or you're going to put distance between you and four, you know, but there are those generalities, but you still need to come up with a, 
you know, Masjid An-Nur solution, a Masjid As-Salam solution. You need to come up with a Madrasa, you know, this solution, you know, and, and like I said, for the, for the, for the schools, the Islamic schools, for anything, where do, do you take your kids to an Islamic daycare? Um, you know, to your work, even your workplace, when you go to work, what would happen if you at work are in an active shooter situation? Do you know if you work in a hospital? Where would you go? What would you do? Um, these are things that professionals in all industries across the board should be thinking about. And if they're not, we should be asking them. So go to our board and say, and if they say, well, we don't know, then you can say, okay, well, let's start looking and you can start grabbing resources and pulling people in. Again, you may find that retired law enforcement officer who will come to your masjid and will give a workshop. Okay? You, you can, don't be afraid to seek knowledge where it is. And, you know, and, and again, there are, there are personal courses you can take. There are, like, there are free resources out there that you can learn from. Um, there's all these agencies will put things out. Some of it's not the greatest of advice, but it starts the conversation. It starts you on the path of understanding what security is. It's, it's understanding what risks you face, developing a security program that fits your philosophy of how to mitigate and lessen those risks, and then implementing those solutions, be they Am I going to be, am I going to train myself to be armed and capable? Or am I going to drop those 20 pounds and be ready to take on somebody? Is it, you know, just starting to pay attention to the fact that, hey, there's a dark alley nearby. Maybe we should think something about that. Maybe somebody could be doing something bad over there. All those things, that's, you start that process. Right. I remember in the, maybe like uh, an hour ago, I asked you, if you were now responsible for Masjid al-Nur, what would you have done differently? Like what would you, you do now? Yeah, what, what would, would I do now? now? Right now. And also, like, right? what would you do of that? What would you do then as well? Because I don't think you completely okay. finished that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't finish it. Well, I think the first thing they should have done was, from what I saw, the interior of the masjid was not really that well laid out for egress. I think the sisters' area, particularly, I looked at. They seemed to be bottled in. I would have ensured that every person had proper egress from any room, any main hall or any area where there's a concentration of people should have had at least two egress points. So I would have looked at the building, the floor plan of the building, literally, um, and looked at what improvements could have been made, just simple things about doors and that, that could have helped with the flow of people. Um, some of the other things I would have done was, depending on what their parking situation was, allowing people to park there and have such an open compound. They had walls, literally like walls with iron gates on top of them, but they had open gates. Um, I would have had some volunteers and other people outside um, in the parking lot, not just there to just be alert as to what's going on, but also just to, you know, help people as they're coming in, greet people as they're coming in. We do this a lot of times on Eids. We do this where we have large numbers. You see the brothers out there on Eid helping people and stuff. We should be doing this even on the Jamaas. We should be doing this where there's always somebody outside who's a little bit alert of what's going on and, and, you know, whether, and 
We also probably, we should have been, I would have sought some cooperation from the other masjids in the area about potentially sharing some of the responsibilities of helping each other out. We needed to stagger our jamans or staggering our things so that we had brothers available to, to guard each other's um, spaces. You know, those were, would be some of the most basic things I would have done right off the start. Um, because again, a camera, yeah, it's good. But if somebody's not watching, it's not helpful. It's better to have a person there who's actually watching and looking um, because they can raise the alarm immediately or they can act um, immediately. Um, in addition to that, the other thing they could have done, and it is done in a lot of other places, is they could have asked the local police department to be there if there was an officer available on Juma. Yeah. Um, yeah, my mom does that sometimes. Yeah. Now, sometimes if there's a, a car accident or something, the officer leaves. He needs to respond. They don't have the resources to put a special detailed police officer for every single event. But more than likely, the, the instances of which we are going to have be higher risk are going to be on Jama and any of the Eid prayers or any of the larger gatherings. If you contact your local law enforcement and if you ask them, is it possible for your officer to, you know, maybe do some traffic monitoring in the area at that time or just stay outside during this critical time period or drive by or that? that may itself be enough to get some of the low-hanging fruit particularly because if they see again they see a potential threat they see somebody who's going to challenge them there they're less likely to carry it out um i have yet to see a place where any of these active shooters have seen a police car or seen law enforcement and said you know i'm going to go attack and kill these people anyway yeah, um that's definitely so true. So that's also a possibility. Post what's happened now, I don't think that that masjid will have much problem with security because I think the government in New Zealand is not going to allow that to happen again anytime soon. Um, I think more than likely they will probably have a special security law enforcement detail um, at all the masjids there for quite some time. Um, we've seen this in New York City. We've seen it in London before where there have been t attacks and for a very short period of time, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, law enforcement presence in and around masjids has been higher. Um, so I, I, but the, you know, the pre thing is too, the other thing I would have done is I would have gotten my community together to begin to understand this is before, before the active shooter event, everybody should have been brought aboard on understanding risk, understanding, you know what the the program is, what what we what do we, what are we going to do? What's going to happen if? Um, because people would have been less likely. You you're like a we have a saying here because it happens so often. You've probably seen it in Ohio or anywhere. You know we say a deer in the headlights, where mm -hmm. yeah. you know, there's a, there's a deer in the road and he's got bright lights in his eyes. He just freezes. You're going to get less. Less of that kind of response. Condition black if you start the conversation in advance. Just even thinking about it, just saying, you know, hey, this could actually happen is going to start the wheels turning and thinking, 
well, what if that happened? Um, the brother at the, who greeted the uh, shooter at the door um, was so back in condition white that he wasn't aware of the imminent threat until the absolute last moment. You know, some brothers said that they thought the guy was a policeman or they thought he was a military or something and that there, maybe there was something going on. You know, you can't assume, again, you have to elevate from yellow to orange. It's a potential threat. And then if it's a real threat, it's red. But so you can't assume right from the beginning, oh, it's, oh, it's a guy with a gun, it must be a policeman. You know, you can't assume things. You have to, you have to operate, you have to be skeptic. You have to be skeptical, you have to be aware. You do have to have a dose of paranoia, not yeah. too much. And again, don't get so fearful. That's the that's what people like this want too. They want us not to go to Masaji. They want us not to. They want us to be scared. And yeah. that's the last thing we should do. Precisely. Yeah. Go to masjids even more. Exactly. As a result of this, and make a have bigger presence babies. of yourself. Make more babies, yeah. But have a bigger presence of yourself within the masjid. Visit it more. As a result, not yeah. only they'll add in terms of security, you'll get benefits and hasanat. And you'll uh, basically defeat the purpose of whatever this guy was trying to accomplish as well. And and again, and, one stone. and again, I don't want to leave this out because, you know, I am married and I do have two children. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that, it, you know, if there are sisters who are fearful of something, then it's our responsibility to alleviate that. 100%. Yes. 100%. You know, so if a sister is not coming to the masjid because she's scared of walking out the masjid late at night, then there's something we ought to be doing that so that that doesn't happen yeah there should be better communication between between brothers and sisters exactly because you know they they have their own unique and i mean they're they're sometimes they're bringing food for our dinners at the masjid they're taking care of children they're doing other yeah. things and they have and, unique risks right and they have unique risks and they don't have they, they ain't got time you know as they say they ain't got time for all this other <laughs> stuff yeah, yeah it's, right. we, it's a mass responsibility us. security is that's on us. Yeah. So, you know, we want them attending the halakas. We want them bringing the children for the, for the you know, tajweed lessons. We want the, the biryani. <laughs> and the, yes, and the biryani. Yes, exactly. Right. And, and you know, it, it, seriously, I mean, it, brothers, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but like, if, if the sisters get together and they say, you know, you guys ain't hacking it here. We're, we're fearful. That's we're insulting. Scared. You know, that's insulting. That's bad. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we need, you, you, there should be enough alpha males around, Hey, <laughs> you know, enough. Lying. I got you. <laughs> you know, to, to, you know, to, to, they should feel confident that, that nothing is going to happen to them. And that if something does happen, that we are going to do everything that we can to decrease the risk to them. Precisely. Yeah, definitely. So, do you want to talk about the, the the shooter himself at all? I think a lot of planning went into this. Like the, I, I mentioned, I, I remember you said yeah. um, um, the, the way he filmed it was kind of like a video game. Yeah, it, this is you know like it, it fit the FPS genre, the the first person shooter genre. Um, I mean, it's like Call of Duty, or or, or something like that. And I, you know, th- this GoPro technology mounting it on the helmet, this isn't just something he thought of. I mean, it, it's something that was very purposeful. 
Um, he wanted this to appear to people. He wanted the video. He live streamed it. Um, he purposely set everything up. I mean, the guy probably even checked whether he had con internet connection. I mean, whether he had a connection near them. I mean, it, the guy went through some steps. He, he dropped his manifesto 10 minutes before the attack. And then he headed there. This is, implies he had some pre-planning and he, and he had thought things out, which, where he was going to park, what he was going to do. Definitely. So again, if you make your community look intimidating, if you, if you, if you do some things, if he sees that you've got brothers standing out there every Friday, if they see that you have, are, have taken some concrete measures, like, you know, those alleys and things like that, that you've contacted police and law maybe, enforcement. Yeah. Right. And he sees things like that. He's going to be, this is a no low hanging fruit. Mm. You know, there, there's a, you know, I might not be successful here. Yeah. It'd be expensive to kill. Basically. Exactly. And, you know, and he may end up being a total, either trying it and failing or not trying it at all. Um, you know, and so, and ultimately, I mean, we obviously don't want anybody to try something like this. Yeah. You know, we don't, we, we don't want active shooters and we don't want to discourage them from our masjid just so they go down the road to the next one. Precisely. But, you know, we, 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 we do want to put out uh, across the board, all communities, all of us, we want to put out that, no, we're not to be messed with. We're, you know, you know, it, it's kind of like the, you know, we want the guy to walk into the Wild West saloon, pull out his gun and then have 20 guns pointed back at it, you know, figuratively, depending on where you are again. But, yeah. you know, just just, you know, having that level of intimidation that he wouldn't that he's not going to go into any masjid and do that. The, the other very troubling thing about the, the this particular guy is, um, again, how he got the permits for what he had in New Zealand, considering his history and travel history and some other stuff. He said he made money off Bitcoin or something. Or some sort um, of crypto. Yeah. And, you know, he had some, he didn't have a great car, but he had some, you know, expensive weaponry and, you know, ammunition. He obviously had spent a lot of time practicing with it. Um, it just, it, something's not right with this guy, um, considering the countries he went to and kind of, his guy. I'm, I'm not by nature a conspiracy theorist. I generally believe that the most obvious explanation usually is correct. But this is sketch. Um, but why is the sketch a mark yeah there's some there's some questions here and and it's i know smooth. some country, some countries like i know turkey has opened up an investigation to find out what he did while he was there who he met and what he was doing right um he visited a few months before the coup there um not saying he's involved in that i'm just saying that you know he was there he went to north korea that's enough to get you on any flight any yeah, flag what, what the hell is he doing in north korea but again, I mean, I don't care if you're a tourist in North Korea or not. The number of Westerners that have been in North Korea, you can you could put that on probably, you know, you could e easily put that on a list of a few thousand. Okay, um, those names are known. I mean, if you fly into the U.S., they know what countries you visited to. I mean, all the passports now are digital 
passports. They have bio, I mean, they have biometrics. I mean, you're getting your retina scan. You're getting all that stuff when you arrive in various places. Um, so how he could not be flagged for any reason whatsoever um, when he went to get a permit to purchase a firearm or anything like that. And again, that's just following New Zealand laws. Not that I necessarily agree with New Zealand laws through and through, but based on their own law, I find it very strange. He was able to get a, uh, they go by class A, class B, whatever. He was able to get the appropriate class license after a background check was done without question. Um, and I'm pretty sure they probably in New Zealand are doing their own head scratching and digging, wondering what didn't happen, what information wasn't shared. Right. So um, what, what about like this uh, ideology and the, the information that's being spread? What can we do about that from a security perspective? Um, from a security perspective, I think that there's a lot that our community leaders and activists can do to continue to put out the message. I don't think, uh, you know, our, our scholars and that, they can't just, you know, sit up on high and not think of practical issues. They yeah. themselves also need to stress the importance to the communities of, you know, of, of basic practical matters of security and things like that. And they need to do their part in getting out and countering messages like what this guy has. I think, most people in places like New Zealand and in the West, they understand. They, they get it. They understand that there's Muslims in their communities because of life circumstances. Um, you know, Muslims have come here for, as professionals or they've come here because where they were wasn't a safe place to be. And I think that most people are okay with that. And I think that the Muslims getting those messages out and getting the proper narrative whenever they can is very important. Um, you know, don't let the, the, the narrative like this guy had, oh, Muslims are breeding us out. We're gonna, you know, take over. Um, letting these narratives uh, go unchallenged is, is a definite no-no. Um, it needs need to be called to, out. It needs to be called out. And, when, and I know I do it. When I have a family member or when I have somebody or somebody says something or something I see, I call it out. And I see it sometimes more so than other people because I'm a white American. Mm -hmm. And I've had people say to me, you know, they're Muslims, something like this, not even having a clue. So you challenge it, challenge it every chance you get. You know, one of the best examples I always use when they say something about, you know, well, this, and they ought to go back and I'd say, oh, yeah, about 30% of your hospital staff just left. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I use, I mean, just, you know, to kind of break the ice and laugh a little bit about it and say, no, look, come on, these are regular folks. You know, they're your doctors, they're your engineers, they're your, you know, they're just normal drivers. people. They're normal people. They're Muslims. Okay. You know, yeah, they're and basically like the Amish, except with technology. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically, right? Like, how is a Muslim yeah. any different than like an Orthodox Jew or, or Orthodox it, conservative Christian? Exactly. And I, and I think, and I think the other the part of it is, the other part of it too is, is that if you are looking for a reason to hate something, you'll always you find, find it. it. Agreed. Um, you'll rationalize and, reasons up. Right. Exactly. 
So, so you got this whole entire, you know, and it's not just Islamophobia. This stuff jumps in. We have these problems within our communities as well. Um, yeah. You know, we, 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 we have the, you know, we have colorism in our own community. This one's lighter and this one's darker. And, the, you know, these also come. So anytime stuff like this, we got to, we got to shout out, you know, we're all, that guy came into the masjid to kill Muslims. He didn't come into the masjid to shoot brown people. He didn't come into the message. No, it was Muslim. Right, he, he, didn't he, kill Muslim. Hates, he hates white reavers. Right. In particular. Exactly. That's the one thing he hates. <laughs> right. In particular. So, right. Exactly. So, you know, we need to, you know, all these negative things, we need to get, we need to, you know, again, we can control what we ourselves do. And we can influence those around us. You know? And, it, you know, and even if we can't influence those around us, we can at least make the offer them. We can at least say, oh, inshallah, you know, somebody turn the light on in this community. You know, we, we can do that. Mm. You know, so do take those steps of starting that conversation of seriously thinking about back when I started in the beginning, we were talking about stuff. I said, you know, about this seven year old kid who slips in the wudu area. Start asking questions like, about stuff like that, because this stuff leads into the next question into the next you know it le- it all comes together right so yeah. in a in a masjid what would you say the biggest risk is what do you got to be thinking of if you're designing a masjid if you're designing top, a top masjid, five or yeah top five or four yeah the, t- the the biggest things i think you need to think of in a masjid is you need to think of uh the flow of people i think the top priority is egress how do you get people out of the building quickly um, so if I were designing a masjid, one of the first things I would think of is we have, we, we have, we're always trying to fit more brothers in the soft. We're always trying to straighten the lines. We have a very high number of people in a very small space. People have a tendency in an emergency of any kind to all want to go out the door they came in. Okay. Mm, so we need, so true. One of the first things we need to do, whether it be a fire, whether it be an active shooter, whether it be any of these threats, one of the first things you need to think about when it comes to a masjid is how do people get out of the building? We heard in some of these instances, brothers were smashing windows to get out. That's okay. good. Can your windows be broken? Are, I mean, do you want them to be, or do you, are you going to install ballistic windows or stuff that people are smashing? You, you, these are things you need to think about. So that'd be the first thing I think about is egress, um, how to get in and out of the building the second thing i would think about in is i would think about access control of getting out of the building is one thing you may have eight ways to get out of the building but how many ways do you have to get into the building and are those ways controlled so if you have a brother's entrance and a sister's entrance that doesn't mean that somebody should be able to come in a side door or a back door those may need to be just exits only with little alarm. So, so the first thing I would think of is how do people get out? The second thing I think of is how do people get in? Um, access control, you know, that should be, you should be able to be in the front of your building and anybody coming into your building on Juma, you should be able to see them coming in that door. Nobody should be able to come in the back of the masjid or into the side door, or nobody should be propping the door open with paint can. Never. You know, things like that. No, it should be a controlled entrance access. The other thing is, is that the, is line of sight you need to have your masjid shouldn't be so cookie cutter with so many rooms in rooms and rooms in rooms 
um, or, or you know, houses that have been repurposed. Opening it up a little bit is a little better. Not, I mean, it, there are negatives to it as well. But when law enforcement arrives, or when you're in that active shooter situation, if you hear bang, 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 you don't know where it you're, is. You're in a room, and you're you may be running to danger. If you go to flee, you may run the wrong direction. It's hard to tell where shots are coming from. So one thing is having clear lines of sight so people can easily, and that goes along with having good egress so people can go and go out. Um, another very important security element, I think, for buildings um, is to have a plan in place for how the masjid is secured, opened, and resecured. There should be a checklist that goes along is who, who, who has keys, who has these things, who's responsible to open the door, who's responsible for making sure the door is locked. So again, this, for, you know, we have other threats other than active shooters. We have robberies, we have vandalism, we have other things. If the last brother to leave the masjid doesn't have the key to lock the masjid and the masjid doesn't get locked, and we come in the next day and find out the masjid burned down, okay? So that let us another key key element, I think, to the, to the piece is that we need to have a, you know, a, a, a formal plan of how the masjid is opened and closed. If it's a 24-7 access masjid, there are ways to do that. Is, is there always going to be a brother among the group there? Is it, there are electronic control systems? You guys might use some of these at work or university where you use little beep cards. These are not overly cost prohibitive. Um, so managing the, the, that way is, is another important thing. Um, I, would, I would stress also good and decent lighting and other things in the building is important. Um, you shouldn't have uh, dark areas or areas that are poorly lit inside the masjid. It should be reasonably well lit. People need to be able to, in an emergency, you have to remember some brothers and sisters are older and they have vision problems, vision impairment. Those clear lines of sight with well lit um, uh, ways out are, you know, very, very important. So good. And another thing is good signage. Um, signs and even evacuation little things in the map. Some areas require this, but signage is also important. Um, letting people know what is okay, what's not okay. Do you allow backpacks? I mean, other, other than you allow cell phones. I mean, all, we put signs up everywhere, but having good, very clear and effective communication to the Jama of, of, of how to use the building. Um, I know in, in Pakistan, they frisk people down. Yeah, I mean, we're not there yet, um, I don't think. But right. but just just being aware that I could, you know, someone could walk into a building with a backpack um, and they could sit down and you don't necessarily know, well, it's just a brother from outside of town. And then you don't know what even there. is in the backpack. You, it could be like that, a pressure cooker thing. Right, Or like exactly. some sort of bomb. So, so, it, so having clear signage and things like that and saying, you know, we don't allow this, and then that, you know, it raises that level of awareness to people so that I see that the sign says people shouldn't test. So if I see someone who does, I can say, oh, brother, you know, I, I noticed they don't have a sign. We're not supposed to leave our stuff outside. You know, the, it goes again along with that situational awareness level. 
Um, another thing I would do in the, in the masjid is a lot of walls um, and other areas if should be constructed properly um, in the sense that um, if, if brick is better would be my, <laughs> um, brick is better. Um, bullets don't go through brick. Um, you know, a good solid construction of a building um, is more important. Uh, if you just have curtains and things like that, it, it, you know, sometimes things are necessary, but a lot of times it is better to go through the, the thing of, of having real, real walls, um, good, good walls where you need them. Um, because a lot of times if you can get in a room and shut and lock that door, um, barricade that door, um, and they can't come through, uh, you're safe. Um, if the sisters were in that room and they were able to, and upon hearing gunshots, barricade that door, lock that door and barricade it, and he was not able to get in and bullets didn't penetrate the walls, um, they would have been safe. So giving people cover and concealment is another element that should be, again, it's all, it, it depends so much the other thing I would also stress is that emergency response equipment, not just fire extinguishers, but things like, uh, you know, uh, first aid kits should be available. Um, they should be mounted on the wall with clear, you know, if you're worried about people opening them up and taking the band-aids out all the time, they sell boxes with little alarms. So if somebody opens it, it goes, ee. It's enough to deter most people from stealing the band-aids. But, you know, seriously, having that stuff on hand would be another important thing. I've, I've hardly noticed any masjids that have anything on site that, um, for, as far as first aid uh, equipment. AEDs, I, I haven't seen very many masjids that have AEDs. Um, those are the defibrillators. Yeah, the thing where you, where you put yeah. on the guy's chest and you zap him. Exactly. And, and those are so easy to use. Um, so all of those things, just even just simple things like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, how much we I think we've, we've covered, covered almost everything. We've covered a I lot. Think, I think we're at the two hour mark. I think it's a good place to stop. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, the thing too, is if people have questions, they're more than welcome to comment to you guys or stuff. You guys know how to yeah, get so, yeah. yeah. I was just going to ask, where can uh, and people reach you? Do you have an active social media or? I do have an active social media account, a Facebook account. Um, they can, you know, send, they can follow me if they want. Um, uh, they can, you know, you guys can, we can share the stuff below. Um, and again, if they want to comment on some of these things, I make a lot of posts public. They're more than welcome to comment on those posts. I know you're going to share some of those posts. I will answer questions back or, and again, if I don't know, uh, you know something, I'm going to point you in a direction where I know someone who does or something that does. And, and no one is an expert of everything. Um, we're always learning. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think for the viewers, it's, uh, his name is Leon Smith, L-E-O-N and then space Smith. S-M-I-T-H. You can look him up on Facebook. Yep. Uh, yeah, we should take this, this opportunity. We should take it to, you know, learn and take initiative, hopefully. Whether it's, yeah. you know, learning more, like whether it's getting in shape and learning situational awareness or the combat mindset or yes. bring the uh, bring the issue uh, to the attention of the community members. Uh, but is there anything else? Yeah, also know that um, all these kind of situations, they really depend on the win will of Allah. 
and that all we're doing is just trying to tie the camel. Yeah. Right. So all um, we're trying to do is just try, just do what we can in this dunya. And at the end of the day, it's it's all in the hands of Allah Azawajal. Yep. So, um, for the victims, I want if any of the people who are affected by the tragedy are listening, I just want to say And for any white supremacist uh, that's ethno nationalist, ethno nationalist that may or may not be listening, um, may Allah curse you and send you to hell. <laughs> I mean. This was great, guys. All right, wrap it up, Fahad. Um, with uh, Surah Al-Asr? Yeah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wal-Asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu amilu salihati wa tawasaw bil-haqi wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Sadaq Allah al-Azim. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Fahad. Thank you, Brother Amar. Thank you, sir.